was really important for me to let go of running goals and sort of making fitness expectations. And so my only expectation was, I just want to run as far as I can, whenever I can. And the priority is wherever I am, just to get out the door. I mean, I don't care if it's for 30 minutes or if it's for three hours. Like, if it can happen, then I'm going to make it happen. Inspiration and information for athletes by athletes. It is season three of the Goo Energy Labs Pinnacle Podcast. I'm Fatty of FatCyclist.com. And I'm Yuri Hauswald. I'm the community development and athlete manager for Goo Energy Labs. Holy cow, Yuri. That is a long and new sounding title. What does that even mean? Uh, good question. So uh, my <laughs> actually, my job title has morphed over the years at Goo. I've been uh, in the office now for about six years. Uh, and just in the last six months, I've taken over the responsibility for managing our elite athletes, um, those that have contracts and are getting paid, um, for the most part, and it's been extremely fun. And so then we just decided that, yeah, that's, that's a lot, that's a mouthful on a business card. So we decided to get rid of the development part of the community, um, part of my title. So now I'm just, uh, athlete manager or athlete and community manager at Goo Energy Labs. So that's the long and the short of it right there. I'm pretty sure that you uh, have said your title like three different ways uh, in the yeah. two minutes we've been recording. So uh, as far as the business card goes, I think you have to just get yourself a bigger business card. Like Maybe I do. Yeah. Three by five size, four by six, right? <laughs> that would be awesome. Exactly. It would. Totally. <laughs> it would stand out. Does, do it people would. use business cards anymore? I don't know the last time I even got a business card. You know, I'm, <laughs> you know, call me old school, but I actually do. I carry a few in my wallet. Um, mainly because our business cards are super cool. They have a punch punched out shape of a, a gel packet in them. So they're, they're, they're interesting, but I also sometimes, and this is also speaks to my old schoolness. I write notes when I send packages to athletes and sometimes I attach my business card in case they don't have all my details. Dude, that is news I can use. You know what I do with my <laughs> business cards? I write groceries. Uh, you use them, them as shims. Yeah. <laughs> use Shim them as up furniture. Shims. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. All right. So, Yuri, what is what is that going to mean as far as uh, as far as this show goes? What your new job title, your new job responsibilities? How is that going to affect the Pinnacle Podcast? It's going to make it so much better because uh, now I am meeting new athletes and interacting with a whole different silo of athletes at Goo that I had no interaction with before. For those that mm -hmm. don't know, you know, I'm, I'm a, a one-trick trick pony on a bike, um, been very cycling-focused for years. Um, while I was aware of our other amazing run, triathletes, climbers, outdoor folks, um, I didn't have a lot of interaction or contact with them. And that all changed about six months ago when I um, took over the reins of managing them, all of them, and uh, got to have conversations with them and meet them and go through contract negotiations and stuff like that. And now is the fun part because all that is out of the way and I just get to cheer them on as they um, chase amazing um, goals and events and accomplish PRs and new fastest known times. And mm -hmm. so I will be able to tap into all these amazing folks and, and get them on the podcast um, which is what we're going to do today. I am so excited for that. I mean, th the fact is, I listen to podcasts, you know, I would say probably 
an hour and a half to two hours a day. I I don't just record. I love listening to amazing stories. And that is what the theme of this year's uh, Goo Pinnacle podcast is going to be. Amazing people who have done amazing things talking with us about how they do it. And we're going to learn from them. We're going to be inspired by them. It is going to be, I think, a just I- incredible fun to listen to stories. So with that, why don't you tell us a little bit about who our first guest is for season three? Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited to kick off our first episode of season three with Eo Wang. Um, those of you who are not familiar with her, she's a two-time uh, Lake Sonoma 50 winner, two-time Olympic marathon qualifier, and just last weekend she punched her Western States ticket uh, with a second place um, finish at the Black Canyon 100K Ultra. Nice. Um, she's also a school teacher, which speaks to my um, roots. I was an elementary school teacher for years. Um, so that means she's obviously very patient and kind and compassionate, as well as um, someone who can rip your legs off. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I say that with all due respect. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Eo, welcome to the Pinnacle Podcast. We're so stoked to have you on today. I'm so stoked to be on, Yuri. It's great to talk with you and Eldon. And you sort of introduce yourself to those who are not already familiar with the amazing athlete that you are. Well, I didn't run until I went to college. So I was a, actually a total fat kid in school and not very <laughs> athletic. <laughs> I studied a lot uh, mm-hmm. because my parents were very focused on making sure that I accomplished um, things academically. Mm-hmm. And so I went to MIT. And when I was going to school there, I spectated the Boston Marathon. And I thought, wow, that looks horrible and awesome at the same time. And I really want to experience that. And so I. So something called out to yes, you from that. Huh? Yes. I think yeah. it was just seeing the thousands of people streaming past on Boylston Street, you know, suffering, but also completely excited and elated and having this look of incredible accomplishment. It just really spoke to me as something that I wanted to try and um, get that experience for myself. So I set about looking up, literally doing an internet search how to train for a marathon. <laughs> Actually, how to run. <laughs> how to run. How to run. So I started learning how to run. And when I started, I couldn't really run even a mile outside my dorm, but just slowly and methodically followed some online, you know, couch to 5K type training plans to get to the point where I could run 5k and then from 5k it was on to 10k and then on to a half marathon and then I had to qualify for Boston so I chose my first marathon to be in Cape Cod and so I ran that hit the wall at mile 20 sort of struggled it in but managed to get under the qualifying time for Boston which back then was 340 for my age group and gender. And so I made the qualifying time, signed up for Boston, and then started training for Boston. What was the time gap between you started running and you did that first qualifier? I've got to know. 
about a year and a half. <laughs> so you went from no running at all to running your first marathon in under, what was that again? 340. So I ran, I think, three hours, <laughs> three hours and 33 minutes at that marathon. Um, yeah, about a year and a half after I started tr running. <laughs> oh my training. goodness. I mean, well, I think that, you know, my dad has actually been very athletic his whole life, mm -hmm. not in a particularly serious way, but he was into basketball and weightlifting and just sort of did those for fun. So I think that I had some, you know, genetic good genes from my parents mm -hmm. <laughs> that I never really utilized in high school beyond sort of a, you know, going out at recess and running around kind of way. Um, but once I started getting serious about it, I think what really spoke to me was how you can make progress by putting in the work. With running, especially, you don't need special equipment. You just need a pair of shoes and you just need to get out there. And I think it was awesome for me to be able to see results um, just from putting in consistency. I mean, I wasn't doing workouts or anything like that. I was sticking to like, okay, run every other day and then run, work up to running every day and then work up to running longer on the weekends, that sort of thing. That's a really good tip. I just wrote that down on my notepad and underlined it, you know, make progress by putting in the work um, and then just showing up uh, and being consistent about it because uh, that just, that works for the everyday athlete, I think. Mm -hmm. um, you don't, and it proves that you don't have to be some um, genetic freak while you may be, you know, uh, that if you show up every day and put in consistent work that you will make progress. Um, and I want to use that as a quick segue because Fatty, you touched on it with the, the couch to a year and a half to running her first marathon at three forty and qualifying and qualifying for Boston. <laughs> I, I also want to talk about a time gap and progression, how you went from a three forty marathon to a two, to a two thirty eight in 2011 how many years was that because i think that'll blow the top of people's heads off um that would have been four years so you chopped an hour in four years you took an hour off of your your time that, maybe a I find bit that amazing. longer let me think back it feels so long ago <laughs> <laughs> um i think i ran 333 yeah, it was longer than that. So I, I think I think of my running in sort of sections where there were a few years where I was in that like 330-ish range of marathoning. And then I moved into like the three-hour range and then into the well under three-hour range. And going from 340-ish, I was there for about two years. And then... Um, after I ran the 333, I thought, well, let's try to go for a next time goal. And in my mind, that was 315. And so it was like sort of a progression of, okay, I need to really start paying attention about the pace I'm actually running and doing a lot of learning about running in that process, sort of what does it mean to have good pacing? What does it mean to have good nutrition? You know, what are some of the ways that I can start increasing my speed without getting hurt? 
And then from 3.15 to 3 hours, um, I definitely had to get a little bit more serious. I joined a local running club. I started doing track workouts and just more uh, focused on actual training versus just running. <laughs> hmm. And then from three hours to getting my first qualifier, 238, I hired a coach that I worked with for about two years before hitting that time standard. I did um, a lot of those classic marathon workouts and it was hard training. I mean, I can remember back in those days when I was like shooting for that 238, that it was a lot of lonely miles going, trying to go really fast on this, uh, straight stretch of bike path with nothing interesting to look at. <laughs> so I think for me, it worked out in a very progressive way where I didn't go immediately from 3.30 to 2.40. You know, it had to be incremental and it had to be small attainable goals and you sort of stair-step your way to like this big goal that I never thought when I first started running I could ever reach. I, I recently finished a book by Alex, Alex Hutchinson, which I'm sure you've read, EO and Fatty, maybe you have too, called Endure. Um, and the final chapter is all about the mind, the power of the mind, and how that may be the final barrier um, that, that humans are able to sort of push through or unlock um, to unleash their full um, potential. And one of the things that I left after reading that chapter was this idea of belief. Once you've accomplished something that you didn't think you can believe, you're like, oh, I did that now, like, and you redraw the line of possibility. So I'm wondering, where's the next line for you, EO? And is it with the marathon time? Um, well, my next line is, <laughs> I want to win Western States. <laughs> That's like, you heard it here, folks. My next like goal. It. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah. going to lay it, here. it out yeah. there. <laughs> nice. Um, I want to have believe a it. So yeah. I believe that if, I have a well-executed, well-paced, well-run day at Western, I believe I can win. And I know that there's a lot of factors that go into how that day will play out. And, you know, there's going to be an incredibly strong women's field at Western this year, as there is every year. And so um, you really have to make sure that you've done everything possible to put yourself in that position to win. And maybe on race day, it comes down to who executes better, or maybe it comes down to a sprint on the track. You just have to be prepared for all those eventualities. Um, but I really want to this year have a great day at Western States. Now, it, it's interesting to me that, I mean, your early running history was clearly very much marathon oriented, but now you're talking about Western states. Uh, what flipped that switch from uh, from road to trail running, or are you still sort of straddling that fence? I'm still straddling that fence. I, I think I just love running and racing no matter what the terrain or distance is. Hmm. I still do a couple half marathons a year. And then in December, I ended up doing the Cal International Marathon because the my big target race, the North Face 50, was canceled due to the smoke from the fires up north. And I loved running CIM. I think, I think what's important to have longevity in any sport is to have variety and sort of 
a freshness yeah. um, when you're approaching training or racing. And so if you do one thing for a very long time, you become stale and you kind of lack motivation. And trail and road running are very different worlds and they require very different skill sets. There's a different community associated with each discipline, but I love it all. <laughs> and I just love having the different experiences that go around like a road 5k versus a trail 100 miler. They're so different and both are so fun and so rewarding. And I think that the strengths that you gain from pursuing each type of racing um, benefits you in the other. It's like I have leg speed from being able to run fast road races so that that translates onto the trail when there's a runnable section. Like I know I can open up and let it rip. And when I'm faced with hills during a road race and like, oh, this is nothing compared to what we face on the trails, you know? So it kind of gives you just more tools to have more confidence in whatever type of racing that you're pursuing. Tell us a little bit about your your sort of off the grid year. <laughs> And that that is that is I think um, I, well that that made for probably the most amazing Instagram account I've ever seen yeah. for one thing. <laughs> so I was working at a middle school in San Rafael, and one of the families that um, I'd gotten close to through teaching their children decided to take their kids on a year abroad to travel the world um, before the younger child went to high school, like before everyone went to college to have this experience as a family. And they also wanted their kids to do schoolwork while they were traveling. And so they hired me as the teacher to travel with them. And they are such a wonderful family that they also brought my husband with me so <laughs> I wouldn't be bored. <laughs> no, so we could um, obviously share this experience together and so I wouldn't be away from him because it ended up being uh, 10 months total and we mm. traveled through 30 countries in an extremely exciting and whirlwind manner. And so it was a year of learning how to be very flexible because, you know, we are on this incredible journey, but on the other hand, it's also not our journey, really. It's this family's journey and we're along sure. to support them in that journey. So it's a work trip, but we're also on someone else's itinerary for 10 months, right? Like as athletes, you know, we're very... Um, type A sometimes about our routines and, you know, how we prepare for training or racing. And so it taught me a lot about how to be flexible and how to problem solve in the moment um, uh, surrounding things like scheduling and where I'm going to fit in a run as we have to do a tour and do school and also travel to our next location all in the same day. Um, I would say that it was probably the hardest ultra I've ever done <laughs> that whole 10 months. It was exhausting at times, but also so exciting. I'm I'm just doing, I, I, I'm doing the math on this. So 30 countries, 10 months, that is, you moved on average every 10 days. 
is what that even comes shorter to. because we actually had wow. a month off quote unquote off for Christmas break where we didn't travel. (laughs) So (laughs) it was really nine months of constantly on the move. There were, it, it depended a lot where we were, how often we were moving, but sometimes it was every other day. Sometimes we would be in a place for three days, um, a very unpredictable schedule. And sometimes I think the longest we stayed in one actual location and hotel was 11 days in Cape Town. That was the longest stint. Amazing. So, I mean, you really did become a, through probably lots of hard lessons, the the master of adapting to different places, to a, a short eating and traveling and jet lagging schedule. And, <laughs> There, as well as you must have, I mean, you've got a, you know, 10 lifetimes worth of memories from mm-hmm. a 10-month period. It's, I, I, I kind of want to spend the rest of this podcast unpacking it. <laughs> oh, you but, could. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sure. We could, we could do the year on it. But if, when you think back to that year, one or two places that like you that your mind goes back to most often, both in terms of runs or in terms of uh, your travel or, you know, where if you could go back, where would you go back? I think one of the most memorable places that we went was Bhutan. I would love to go mm-hmm. back to Bhutan in terms of it, it had culture and this very um, peaceful and nature-oriented lifestyle. And it also has incredibly, incredibly beautiful trails and places to run. And while we were in Bhutan, we did some incredible exploration runs where we just sort of looked out the window of our hotel in the morning and said, let's try to go over there. (laughs) And then it was like, okay, there's some road, but I know there has to be a trail because there's a temple on top of the hill. And so Mm -hmm. you kind of, through your travels, learn how to find good places to run. And in many parts of Asia, one of the best things to do is head towards a temple because there's always going to be a trail to that temple that's well-trafficked. And Mm. there's always going to be, like, people will know how to get there. You know, they'll they'll have no idea what to tell you if you say, I want to do a 10-mile run, where should I go? But if you say, oh, how do I get to that temple? They'll know exactly um, how to tell you how to get there. And yeah, that's one thing we learned was how to ask (laughs) locals about good running places, because honestly, most people have no idea (laughs) like what that means to go on a run. They're thinking, oh, you can just walk down the street and come back and that's a good workout. And we're like, no, no, we want to go, you know, substantially farther than that. Um, So in Bhutan, there were several places where we could see from the window of our hotel this amazing looking monastery or temple up on the um, top of a ridge or in between um, two peaks. And we would ask the hotel staff, like, how do we get there? And oftentimes they know how to get there because it's part of a, an organized trek that they do. 
And so we would just do these in one day and not get driven anywhere. <laughs> hmm. um, and we ran to, you know, these, just these beautiful, beautiful, um, sort of the smaller piece of the Himalayas. We didn't get very high into the Himalayas, but all of Bhutan is mountainous. Um, and we were at altitude. So I was thinking, wow, this is amazing training. <laughs> yeah. And everyone we met there are, were incredibly kind and friendly. And the thing about Bhutan is that they have protected their culture very well. So when you go there, you don't feel like the residents are putting on some sort of show for the tourists. This is just hmm. how they live their life. And they live their life um, by preserving the culture that they've had for thousands of years. And so they're wearing traditional dress, and that's just part of what they wear day to day. They um, respect their environment and their forests, and they are Buddhist as an entire culture. And so that Buddhism is woven into everything that they do, from government to education to, you know, their business. And I, I just loved experiencing Bhutan. And I think another location that I really loved exploring was Japan. So in Japan, we went to big cities, you know, on a scale that I've never experienced before, uh, like Tokyo. And it was surprisingly intimate to be in Tokyo because it's this massive, massive, heavily populated metropolis. And yet every side street, every alley sort of feels like a neighborhood. And hmm. it's incredibly safe. You know, Japan is one of the safest countries in the world to visit. Um, no one will steal anything from you. And they'll always help you out. <laughs> and it's actually quite fun to run in Japan because Japan has a very um, deep-rooted distance running culture. You know, they're sort of obsessed with distance running and especially the marathon. So whenever people see you running, they're always really excited. And we saw tons of runners. Uh, I think one of the most interesting things that I observed during our trip was places where you saw lots of runners and places where you didn't see lots of runners. And, you know, I have my own theories about why that is. And towards the end of the trip, I was like, well, I think you can tell how economically developed a location is by how many runners you can see on the street in the morning. <laughs> I, I'd never thought about that. Yeah. But yeah, when when people have enough leisure time right. that they can start doing right. that, if you're doing if your exercise is part of you staying alive, right? You're not then, going to uh, run for pleasure. To, yeah, you're not going to go burning calories for uh, um, for fun. Because even right. even in a place like Ethiopia, where we think, oh, there's tons of runners, like the best distance runners in the world come from Ethiopia. No one runs for fun. Like we right. were the only people out running because, like, it's transportation because kids run. But if you can mm -hmm. afford a motorcycle or a horse or a donkey, like you're not going to run. And if you sure. do run, it's a serious profession. Like there are professional runners and then there are 
is the rest of the population who don't run for fun. <laughs> like right. only foreigners run for fun there. <laughs> Yo, I'm wondering with all this travel, if you have any tips or tricks for athletes out there, um, you know, traveling can be hard on your immune system and staying hydrated or cramping or this or that. Do you have any nutrition tips or tricks, um, you know, compression tights or whatever it is that, that helped you, um, sort of stay on your, your, your best sort of physical fitness, um, side of things? One of the most important things for me was actually to develop systems to reduce stress as much as possible. Um, so developing a system of, okay, when I get to the hotel, I'm going to immediately lay out these things from my suitcase so I can get on with the rest of the day so that I can utilize the time in the most efficient way possible. I think a lot of it was just about being efficient. And I brought um, hydration tablets with me. And so I would mm -hmm. try to drink one, especially if we had a flight that day. But you know, it, it's really hard to juggle the nutrition aspect on top of like, okay, we need to find a place where we can do like three hours of school lessons. And we just landed at this crazy airport. And now we're on a bus to the hotel and we have to figure out how we're going to do math today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, you had all that to prepare as well. Yeah, I think the hydration piece definitely started to slip in some places. And there were some days I just woke up and I was like, oh, I'm so dehydrated. And then you just try to chug as much water as possible. Um, <laughs> I think that luckily for us, a lot of the logistics were taken care of. So we didn't have the added stress of like figuring out where we were supposed to go. We sort of just got on the bus and ended up where we were supposed to. But nutrition was difficult because we were on the plane a lot and oftentimes we were hungry and the only thing we had was a bottle of water and some peanuts <laughs> <laughs> or like pretzels or chips or whatever random snack food was there. So right. eating healthy, I say I would say was difficult while traveling because I'm not a huge eater of things like bread or sandwiches. I prefer to eat like more nutritionally dense foods like fruits and vegetables or meat or something like that. And that's really hard to get while you're traveling, especially to get fresh foods. So we did a lot of dried fruit, um, a lot of nuts everywhere, granola bars. I think I've sampled a world's worth of different types of <laughs> granola bars. Um, and also we sort of found cool snacks in every country that were all tasty and could also function as good fuel for our bodies. <laughs> I, I mean, like in per Peru, for example, we ate a lot of popcorn because Corn is a staple really? uh, food crop there. So we ate a lot of quinoa, a lot of popcorn. Um, and then in Japan, we had tons of mochi or, you know, uh, Japan had amazing food. That wasn't really a problem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but definitely in Africa, it was sometimes difficult. And then also um, just when we had really long travel transfer days, it would be difficult to get 
enough calories even we both my husband and I I think we both lost a couple pounds throughout the course of the travels finding food that would work for you not make you sick I mean that must have been a a, a real trick and the fact that you were able to it sounds like you you did you did not get sick very often or were you sick pretty often or did you just learn to manage that so I only got sick once. Wow, that's fantastic. I mean, that's that's good yeah, for anyone. Yeah, we were extremely cautious. I mean, I think there were only maybe two or three places where we felt safe drinking the tap water. And for most of the trip, we actually used bottled water for teeth brushing as well as drinking. And that sort mm-hmm. of stuff matters, especially when you're yes. traveling so often. Um, And we washed our hands a lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then you also have to be just careful about your food choices. I mean, we were in places where I would have loved to try the street food. And I was like, yeah, this is just not a smart idea. (laughs) So unfortunately, you know, we went to a lot of countries in Southeast Asia known for the street food. And I was like, I would love to try this, but it's just not a good idea. You just yeah, never know. You're always going to, yeah, you're always going to be traveling again in a couple of days yeah. and you're taking care of kids and you exactly. don't, just don't have. And I just didn't want to risk it. So we ate a lot at the hotels we were staying at um, and sort of choosing things that were cooked, um, depending on where we were. I mean, we ate a lot of sushi in Japan because it was amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there yeah. I trusted the food quality and sanitation standards. Um, but I did get sick in Myanmar um, because it was probably one of the roughest places that we went in terms of infrastructure and sanitation. And there mm. I think everyone got sick because there was just nothing that you could really do to prevent that. And before our trip, we had gone to our doctors. And so um, there's very good sort of travel medication procedures out there now. We got a ton of vaccines. um, And then we also brought some medications along with us. Uh, When we were in Africa, we had to take anti-malarials, which were interesting. (laughs) Um, So that's another challenge that people often don't think about when they travel is like when you go to some of these um, less developed areas, you do have to be careful about diseases. And we had, I think I had three or four vaccines before the trip. Uh, We took anti-malarials the entire time we were in sub-Saharan Africa, which does affect you physically. You know, the the medications are good now, but anti-malarials can cause you to just feel off um, and not quite your normal self. It really can affect uh, your physical being. And so when you do that, you kind of just have to adjust your expectations. And I think one of the key factors that I thought about before embarking on this trip was, okay, what's the purpose of the trip and how is my running going to fit into the trip? And I think it was really important for me to let go of running goals and sort of making fitness expectations. And so my only expectation was, I just want to run as far as I can, whenever I can. And the priority is wherever I am, just to get out the door. I mean, I don't care if it's for 30 minutes or if it's for 
three hours. Like if it can happen, then I'm going to make it happen. And so the priority was every morning I would get up early, chug a coffee and just get out the door of the hotel. (laughs) And so once those things happen and once you make that a consistent part of your routine, then it's just what you do, right? It's no longer like this, oh, I have to get out and go for a run. It's tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up, get a coffee, go for a run. So much really great real world guidance for having an adventure and still staying uh, staying in your runs. Yuri, I want to ask her one more question, then I promise yeah. I'm going to give the mic back to you. Okay, dude? Oh, that's I'm, okay, man. Yeah. I'm just totally, I'm totally stealing the, this, but I'm just so fascinated by this. So during this year that you were on the road, you know, looking at your, your racing results, suddenly it's like you fell off the planet, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And you're clearly a very competitive person. And during that year, you didn't do a lot of com- competitions. Did... I, I'm wondering, did were you able to set aside that that drive to race, or were you just sort of uh, wanting to race but not racing? I mean, I'm curious about when you came back. Were you like, oh, I'm not sure I want to race anymore? But clearly, you have. T- tell us about the whole uh, not ra- being a racer but not racing for a year. Uh, the FOMO was real. <laughs> <laughs> so real. Um, I think. <laughs> I think initially I was just so wrapped up in the excitement of the trip that it didn't really enter my mind. I mean, I knew going into the trip that there would be no racing uh, plans that I could possibly make in this stretch of time. And so one of the ways that I dealt with it was by making a lot of race plans for after that time. (laughs) And I just thought of it as, you know, this is like an experience that's once in a lifetime. I mean, I would give up a year of racing to travel around the world and, you know, have and be paid to do it. Like, it's just so incredible. And I think I, in exchange for racing, I got to run in some of the most beautiful, amazing places in the world and just exchange that for a whole different set of experiences. I did get FOMO sort of (laughs) watching other races play out. And so a lot of times I thought about, okay, just stay off of Twitter. Like (laughs) you can't be on Instagram today (laughs) because it's, it's like UTMB day and you're going to want to be there. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, I did have some of those moments where I thought, oh, that looks like such an incredible day for that race. And I love that kind of terrain and I really want to be there. But then you think about in the grand scheme of things, that time that we're traveling is going to go by so fast. And it feels like in the blink of an eye, I'm just back on the racing scene. And having that year break, I think, made me hungrier to come back and participate in all these races and be part of the community again. And I think ultimately what I missed the most while traveling was not actually the racing part, but the being with your community. Um, Because it was really just Sean and I running around for a year, and we didn't have other people to run with for most of that year. So it was 
hard to be away from our friends who really are into running. <laughs> yeah. And I know we sometimes joke, oh, runners just talk about running all the time or cyclists just get together, talk about cycling all the time. But it's so fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I miss the community most. Hey, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit, um, but it will involve travel for you, EO, because you're about to go to Ibiza and it's not to go clubbing. Um, it's to go to <laughs> the Under Armour um, run camp and you've been working with Under Armour now for about a year and a half. Um, and, and you're helping them sort of navigate this interesting transition as a company. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk us through that and what it's like to be one of their athletes and testing product and, and helping them, um, refine, um, the shoes that people are, are using now for, for more performance efforts. So I've been working with Under Armour since 2016. 17, um, since the beginning of 2017. And even in the last two years, I've seen just such a tremendous development in footwear and apparel from the performance run standpoint. Like I knew going into my relationship with Under Armour that they have always been a more team sports and training oriented company and running was sort of an adjunct to the training aspect. So a lot of their shoes up until a few years ago were not necessarily geared towards elite runners or really serious runners. And so in this time, I've had the opportunity to give a lot of product feedback to the awesome shoe designers and product managers who have really taken upon it upon themselves to make great shoes. And I think like I have loved working with Under Armour because their mindset is how can we make athletes better? I mean, like making us perform to the best of our ability using the apparel and the footwear that um, they make. And so in the past several years, I've really seen them start to make excellent road running shoes and translate that into excellent trail running shoes. So I ran Black Canyon in uh, one of the new trail running models that's going to come out this year, and I would highly recommend it. It's going to be the Velocity Trail shoe. Um, really awesome shoe for <laughs> trail running. Nice plug. Yeah. <laughs> Another, you heard it first here on the Pinnacle Podcast. That's two, Fatty. We've got two firsts here, that cats that have been let out of the bag. I love this. Um, <laughs> and I think that they are a very passionate company about supporting the athletes. I've had such a great experience with them as my sponsor, with working with both the product teams and the marketing teams. Like They really uh, take it upon themselves to help us as much as they can, because we're the ones who need to get go out there and perform and use their products. And so I think that it's been a very um, fulfilling mutual relationship in, you know, myself and the other trail athletes giving feedback on shoes that we've been wearing and, and you know, new prototypes that we've been seeing. I know... I, I did a lot of that for goo um, before I transi transitioned into the office, you know, product testing. And I found that really exciting and just 
a way to um, feel like I was giving back to the brand that was supporting me. Um, and also this idea of being sort of intimately involved, sort of behind the curtain right before, and then it gets unveiled to the public and you're excited to have maybe had a small hand in that process. Is there something that's coming out or about to be released that you could talk about that you have had some input on that you're really excited about, or maybe you can't talk about stuff like that? Well, I think we've had a lot of input on several different shoe models that are coming out. So the road running performance shoe line that's coming out is going to have a lot of our athlete input on it. And obviously the trail, the new trail running shoes are going to reflect a lot of our athlete input. So I think those products are going to be um, the most obvious places where you'll see um, athlete input, bringing about improvements in product. And then Under Armour also has, um, at least for us, we give a lot of feedback on like shorts and tops that we wear while training or racing. So one of the main things that we've asked for in the past were um, nice pockets to fit our goo energy gels. Oh, another nice plug. <laughs> so yeah. we'll see. Excellent plug. Uh, <laughs> yeah, good I've plug. had media training, guys. I know how to do this. <laughs> yeah. It is so obvious. High five that trainer. You're killing it this morning. Um, so we'll be seeing a lot of products with, you know, functional um, aspects that help us run on the trails for hours and hours at a time. So pockets were a big thing. And also having durable product, like uh, for Western States, for example, we want apparel that's light, breathable, that's going to help us stay cool, but also that's not going to fall apart when we accidentally or purposefully run into a tree. Um, so that's, yeah, so look forward to a lot of great um, Under Armour apparel and footwear coming out this year. I kind of want to go back to purposefully running into a tree. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sometimes you're just going downhill and you kind of are going a little too out of control. And you, so you're using the tree as a break. You use the tree <laughs> as a break. You try to not run full on into the tree, but, you know, kind of hook it with your arm to like slow your momentum. <laughs> My goodness. And maybe you hope it's more of a sapling that bends a little bit so there's a little bit more give. Yeah. I mean, I've I've definitely had my full share of miscalculations where I look at a, a tree up ahead and I'm like, oh, that's totally a soft branch that's going to bend. And no, it doesn't bend. <laughs> wow. Who knew, Fatty? I, I was going to say, Yuri, for you and me, a couple a couple of guys who are closer to 200 than 100, um, that strategy might be problematic for shoulder sockets. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys are going probably a little bit too fast to use a tree to slow down. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's definitely a mass issue. So you are in addition to being a pro runner, you are a pro educator, uh, not just when you're traveling, but right now. Tell us a little bit about, first of all, what you're doing, and then tell us how you balance your racing life with your real life. I, I, I don't know, real life isn't the right word, but you know what I mean. Uh, another professional life. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I definitely feel like, especially as a 
professional runner, a lot of times we have to balance another professional life on top of that, whether it's because we need to make enough income to live or whether it's because we want to be prepared for when that professional athlete life ends, uh, which Mm -hmm. is early. (laughs) So I've been a teacher for the past few years. Um, I used to teach full-time at a middle school. I taught eighth grade, and then I was also the dean of academics at a small K through eight school in Northern California. And I was there through 2017. So through the start of the year trip, um, I traveled for a year. And then when I came back, my plan was to focus on the running for as long as companies wanted to sponsor me. (laughs) So it would realistically in my mind would be another maybe three to five years. And so I didn't really plan to dive full-time back into teaching, but I did want to still either tutor or volunteer at a school or just have sort of one foot in that door so that when I'm ready to get back into a full-time teaching career, I would still have that experience and that knowledge. And I sort of settled down back in our home in San Anselmo and a friend of mine reached out about some um, opportunities at a local private high school called Marin Academy and they needed a teacher to step in for a couple weeks while one of the biology teachers was on a medical leave. And so I learned more about the position. It was part-time freshman high school, which is just a little bit older than the age group that I had been teaching. And I thought all those factors just um, played well into what my goals are at the time, which is I want to run a lot, but I also want to um, keep getting experience in teaching. And so my current sort of life uh, situation is that I teach part-time. So I teach basically every other day Um, two classes, which is about three and a half hours in the classroom. And at school, doing administrative things adds on another couple hours a week. And then the rest of the time is running centric. So whether it's the actual training, or it's cross training, you know, body treatment, like recording podcasts with you wonderful people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that sort of thing. And I think going forward for at least the next two to three years, that's going to be my plan is I will do either part-time, short-term medical or maternity leave type teaching positions, or just one day go in and sub for a class and come out. And all of that is just to add to sort of my personal skill set and experience so that in a couple years, when I need to go back to full-time teaching, um, I won't have like this huge gap of not having been in the classroom for so long. Sounds like a good plan. It's funny, we uh, had parallel paths into the classroom somewhat. I took over a classroom years ago for a medical leave that actually became permanent. Mm -hmm. So what was going to be like a six to eight week became the whole year. And that was a real baptism by fire. (laughs) I didn't even have my credential. But it was an amazing, as you say, learning experience. And uh, then I taught for a decade beyond that. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah, similar, similar pathways. I'm wondering, you know, as we almost wrap up here, Yo, can you let people know what your plans are, speaking of plans, for yeah. the rest of this season? 
For the rest of the season, I'm going to do a race in May called Transvolcania, which is in the Canary Islands, and I've never been there, so I'm really looking forward to going. And then I'm going to do Western States at the end of June, so that will be a big focus race. And then after Western States, I might do another trail event in August, um, possibly Sierra Zanal in Switzerland, which is a race that I've always wanted to do and has just never fit well into my schedule. And then actually in the fall, I'm going to switch gears quite literally and focus on marathon training since the um, I'm going to run the 2020 Olympic marathon Olympic trials, which are in February in Atlanta. And so I want to do another marathon in the fall and that's going to be the New York City Marathon in November. And I guess September through November will be full-on marathon training. <laughs> I feel like after Western States, I will have had enough of trails for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> you Ready think? to switch gears, yeah. do something a little bit different. Um, oh. oh, and I do want to make one more plug for something that I'm doing in May uh, with my good friend and coach, Mario Fraioli. We're putting together um, a run retreat camp at the end of May in Mill Valley, California, and it's called My Running Camp. So <laughs> we're looking forward to hosting um, a group of runners in uh, Mill Valley and to experience all the things that we love about running in Northern California. So what kind of runners should be interested in signing up for that? All abilities, all age levels. Uh, mm -hmm. We're really not, it's not like an elite training camp. It's more of a come out here and just experience the great trails that we have and the great food and great coffee and hang out. I'm going to have to drop a plug and say you shouldn't forget to hit up your nutrition sponsor to fuel that camp. <laughs> exactly. You might know someone. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I wonder who yeah. that would be. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, honestly, we could do an entire season talking with you, EO. I mean, there you have so much great practical advice, so much amazing life experience, travel experience, and just you know, great, uh, you know, just great talking with you for uh, for this show. I think we are, however, going to have to wrap it for this episode and say thank you so much, and let's talk again sometime. Looking forward to it, Eldon. That was really fun. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. And so let's go ahead and wrap this episode. If you like what we're doing here, do us a favor, subscribe, rate us, review us on Apple Podcasts. And most importantly, tell your friends, spread the word on Twitter, Facebook, and in real life. Yeah, real life especially. Uh, for the athletes and the experts here at Goo Energy Labs, I'm Fatty. And I'm Yuri Hauswald. Thanks for listening to the Goo Energy Labs Pinnacle Podcast. <laughs>